so this morning, I really feel, I'm going to pray in a moment for the message this morning, but I really feel like, um, not just because I prepared the message, and, and which I do each, each week, um, that I'm preaching, obviously, and it's not just a, a, a bit of a build-up so that people try and I want people to listen, but I really feel like this, this message this morning is a message in season for us as a church, um, and I really feel like it's um, something that, uh, at least for, for, for some of us, that God really wants us to grasp. Um, this morning. And so uh, I just encourage us, I do encourage us to, to really um, grab hold of uh, what God has for us this morning. We're not here to listen to me. Um, we're here to listen to what God has to say through His Word and Spirit. And my prayer is that, that God uses me to assist us in that way. But I just really encourage you this morning, and uh, as I said earlier before we kind of went into our main bracket of worship, I think it just feels like we're a little bit pulled in different directions with our attention this morning. I just really encourage you as I pray to take that opportunity to really center in on not was, what does Nick have to say this morning, is it going to be an interesting message, is it going to keep me awake, but, but really anchor in on God, what do you want me to hear and hold on to this morning? Um, and so let me pray um, and uh, let's jump into God's Word together. And so, Father, I do declare this morning that we are not here to listen to me. We are here to praise your name and listen to your word. We're here to glorify your name and listen to your spirit speak this morning. And so, Father, I pray that you give us an ability to hear. We have ears, Lord, and I pray that you give us an ability to hear you with them beyond just the words that are said and read this morning, I pray that we would hear as you would have us hear. I pray that we would see with our eyes what you would have us see this morning. I pray that we would understand with our mind and with our hearts what you would have us understand and lay hold of this morning. May your word this morning be spirit and life to us. In Jesus' almighty name I pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about Psalm 126, but I want to begin here this morning uh, in Revelation, which uh, for those of us that are not as familiar with the, with the, the Scriptures, Revelation um, is, a, is a portion of the Bible, the New Testament, that, that speaks to the church um, after Jesus' time, but it speaks about uh, into their experience and into our experience, but about what is to come. And so in Revelation 21.4, it talks about what our hope is as believers in Jesus. This is the day that we long for and hope for. And it says uh, in Revelation 21 verse 4, that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the believers, those who are redeemed. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is the day that we hope for. That is the day that we believe in Jesus for, that this time will come when tears are a thing of the past. Except for perhaps tears of joy. But, but tears of sorrow, tears of pain, tears of grief, troubles and trials will be a thing of the past, will be a thing of the old order that will pass away one day when Jesus returns. That is the promise of Scripture. That is our hope. That is the promise of the resurrection. 
But until that day, there will be seasons in our life that we go through trials. There will be seasons in our life that we struggle. There will be seasons in our life that we experience difficulty and disappointment and grief. There will be seasons of tears in our life. To, to believe in Jesus is, to be, is a thing of joy. It's a thing that fills us with joy beyond any other thing that could possibly fill us with joy in this life or the life to come. But, but in this life, in this season, in this order of things, there will be seasons of tears alongside the joy that we have in Jesus. And so the Psalms, the, the collection of hymns and poems, that is the Psalms, give voice to uh, celebration and praise and joy in the name of the Lord. But they also give voice to the expressions of grief and sorrow and anguish of those who follow the Lord. It's, it's, it's not just a happy clappy book of songs, it's a, it's a, it's a true expression of the human experience filled with joy and celebration but also filled with difficulty with struggle with trials with pain and tears and so the psalms give voice to that and so this morning we we're going to explore psalm 126 and and what i want to grab out of that this morning for us is what does this psalm have to say for us about walking through a season of tears what does this psalm have to say for us about continuing to move forward in the Lord when we're experiencing trials, when we're experiencing troubles, difficulties, sorrow, pain? What does this psalm have to say to us about how to press into the Lord in the midst of tears? And so uh, I want to suggest to us that the first thing this psalm says about walking through tears about pressing into God in that season is that it's important to remember testimony it's important to remember testimony it's the first thing that this psalm does in in verses one to three it says uh, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion or some of your translations might say when the Lord uh, restored his people which is just another way of saying uh, return the captives to Zion it says we were like ones who dreamed our mouths were filled with laughter our tongues with songs of joy then it was said amongst the nations the Lord has done great things for them the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy And so to give a, a quick crash course in the history of Israel, Israel were God's chosen people. They were planted in the promised land, which is a big story in itself. But then they weren't faithful to God and that ultimately led to them being conquered and exiled, which means that for, most of, for a long period of history, the, the Assyrian Empire battered the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom named Judah of God's people. Um, and then, but ultimately before uh, Jerusalem, the final stronghold of God's people was, was finally conquered, Babylon kind of swept away Assyria. Uh, but the people, God's people, were conquered by Babylon and then carried off into exile. And so this was a, a practice that happened in ancient times which was... Um, about extinguishing the culture and religion and allegiance to, of those people. They weren't exiled with, with any hope of return. They were taken away and, and new people were kind of transported into that land so that the people of Israel, those who worshipped the Lord, would cease to exist. That they would become a servant class in Babylon. 
But what they're referring to here in this, this testimony is that, that the time came about 70 years after they were exiled that God's people were returned to the land. That uh, in, the, in the big picture political things in the world, uh, what happened was Persia overthrew Babylon and the king of Persia uh, sent God's people Israel back to the land to rebuild their temple and to rebuild their city. This was unprecedented in all of history up until that point and has been unprecedented since that point. And that's why they, they say in, in the psalm, we were like ones who dreamed. It was like a crazy dream that you would have in Babylon that, that God returned you to your land and that you would wake up in the morning and go, oh, if only that were true. That was the experience of the, the remnant of God's people. They were like ones who dreamed being returned to Israel. And so as they reflect on this experience, they say they were filled with laughter and joy. That this unprecedented event of God's people being returned to God's promised land, that they were reestablished with a temple and a place of worship, that the, the temple walls were rebuilt, they says that this filled us with laughter and joy. And they're remembering this in their season of tears. They're remembering God's past action in their season of tears. They remember testimony. And so during our Sunday gatherings, we, we have a time where, where whoever's leading, and it was me this morning, we say, does anyone have a testimony? And so what is a testimony? A testimony is simply, and it says it on the screen there for you, a written or spoken, it should say spoken, it says spoke, a testimony is a written or spoken record of God's action throughout history. That's all a testimony is. It's, it's a record or a telling of God's action throughout history. That history might have been 2,000 years ago or it might have been before breakfast this morning or even after breakfast this morning. It's a testimony is a telling or a recording of something that God has done. And so through a season of trials, of tears, the psalmist encourage us in their own response to remember testimony in the midst of tears. Remember the previous season or remember a time when God did something that brought you laughter and joy. Because testimonies reveal the nature of God. It's often said that actions speak louder than words and, and so we have an abundance of God's word and we're blessed by it. But, but testimonies speak in a way beyond words because actions speak louder than words and so a testimony reveals the nature of God. It reveals who God is to us in a way that complements God's word. A testimony renews our mind with the truth of who God is and it builds up our faith. We share testimonies because they encourage us to have faith. I'm sure that uh, Leslie's testimony this morning sharing the good result from Steve's surgery has encouraged Jenny who's about to have surgery for completely different things but, but it builds up our faith. It renews our mind. It, it puts God back in the center of our hearts. And testimonies are also a prophetic declaration that the God who was able to do that in history 
whether that was ancient history or before breakfast this morning, is able to do it again. So testimonies reveal the nature of God, they renew our mind and build our faith, and they are a prophetic declaration that God is able to do it again. Testimonies uh, are crucial to remember when we're going through a season of trial. I've shared before that, that even as a pastor, there's, there's times in, in, in my life where um, you would think that you, as a pastor you're supposed to have, never have any doubts in your faith and, and stuff like that, but there's t- times in my life where, where I, I, I will doubt my faith. And I go, well, do I really believe all this? And God's Word encourages me and, 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 and builds me up. And I've shared a bit about that in the past. But the thing that, that really encourages my faith, the thing that helps me to persevere in the midst of tears is remembering things that I have seen God do that I cannot explain in any other way but the presence of God. And I've shared it before, but, but I just want to share a few testimonies this morning. And I've shared this one before, but I remember um, before my time here at this church, and it wasn't actually in the church that I was a part of, but uh, we were at a, at, a, at a worship meeting and praying for others. And we had a time where we could pray for one another. And there was a girl near um, the people that I was sitting with who had a, had a uh, brace on her wrist and she was a photographer and she's just bought, she had just bought a new camera. Um, and she was devastated because she had a uh, repetitive stress injury in her wrist and she could not actually hold up the camera uh, and had been told, I believe, it was going to be quite some time before she could. And, and I, amongst the, with the other people that were with me, prayed for her. Um, and I, I wasn't filled with a sense of, God's going to do something amazing here. I was just like, oh, okay, we'll pray for her. Um, and then I've been taught, and I've taught here before, that when we pray for a, a miraculous healing, if it's possible, we encourage the person to check it out. And so this girl just kind of started to do this. She took off her brace and started doing this. Oh. She kind of moved it a bit more. And then she started getting it down on the chair in front of her and she was banging on her wrist behind, banging, trying to rediscover the pain that had crippled her wrist and she could not. Um, and she later gave testimony later in that meeting about what had happened and, and she, she just said, I cannot believe it except for it has happened. I remember another time before Christy and I were married, we went to another worship and, and, and kind of prayer meeting together as a date. It's an exciting date to go on. It was, um, I think it was a Jesus Culture meeting, if you'd heard of the worship band Jesus Culture. Um, and there was a time where they were actually um, talking out words of knowledge, which is, is essentially asking God to identify things that He wants to heal. Uh, and, and so Christy had had it. She'd been having a lot of stress and headaches and she was really tired and sore uh, around her shoulders and, and just feeling really exhausted um, as we came to that meeting. Um, and so the person kind of who, who was saying, I believe God wants to heal this thing, pretty well just described exactly that what Christy had described to me about how she was feeling. And so Christy wasn't, hadn't gone to that meeting thinking, oh, I really want prayer tonight. Uh, but she's like, well, that, that's me. I can't deny that. And, and so Christy was prayed for and that, that tension in her shoulders and the tiredness just lifted off her. Um, and she's experienced that same thing again. It doesn't mean that God didn't heal her, but, but it was just a moment of God saying, I'm real. I'm here. Um, sorry to, to pick on Christy's testimonies, but um, when J- Christy was pregnant with our first child, Josiah, who's uh, now eight years old, and um, 
It's not quite that tall. He's in there somewhere. He's getting quite big. But um, when we went for one of our first ultrasound scans, they discovered a fibroid, which is a benign uh, tumor, thankfully benign. But uh, it was one of the largest ones they've seen. It was about the size of a football, and it was blocking the way out. Um, and so the, they said very early on, uh, Christy would not be able to have a natural birth, which was one thing. But they also said, as the uterus contracts, that that may cause bleeding and uh, we may need to remove your uterus, therefore no more children. And um, uh, at, at the moment we might be satisfied with one child <laughs> these days, but uh, um, some going cheap. Uh, um, but um, we, we, we definitely felt at that stage that one child was not enough for, 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 for us. Uh, we had more love to give. Um, and so we actually had this real sense of faith as we prayed for that, that God was going to remove that fibroid. And we prayed for it, and we prayed for it, and we prayed for it, and we had prayer for it. And we kept on going back to ultrasounds, expecting to see that fibroid gone. And it wasn't. And it wasn't. And it wasn't. And it was only, I think, a week or two weeks before the scheduled um, cesarean that um, we went for a final ultrasound. And we'd kind of, not that we'd lost our faith, but we just thought, well, that's not what God's going to do. That's okay. God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way we think. And so we weren't really expecting anything. The ultrasound was just to kind of check where the fibroid was to do the, do the Caesar, hopefully in a way that didn't damage it. Um, and the sonographer could not find the fibroid. And, and we had been experienced in seeing what it looked like. It was a football next to the baby in Christie's abdomen. And, and the sonographer could not find it. Within a half an hour, two of the leading obstetricians in Sydney were in that room trying to find this fibroid and they could not find it. Um, and one of that, that sonography report, which was co-signed not by just the sonographer but the, the two obstetricians that were in there, um, is, and I think we've still got it at home, I should have brought it this morning, but, but it's funny to read them trying to explain it because they can't. Um, there's the words of spontaneous disappearance and things like that. But, but we know it was there and it was gone. And, and so when I struggle in my faith or when I'm going through a season of, of tears or trial in my life, yes, God's word encourages me. Yes, God's word builds me up. But remembering testimonies, remembering that the thing that I believe is real because I have seen with my own eyes things that I cannot explain apart from the presence of God, things that brought me joy and laughter and excitement, remembering those things is what helps me to persevere and encourages me in my faith. The, the thing that testimonies tap into is this truth. We do not have a theoretical God. We do not have a theoretical God. We have a God of historical action. I just want to let that sink in because so much of the time, so often, God lives in the space in our head and our hearts in the space of theory. But testimonies of what God has done remind us that we do not have a theoretical God. We have a God of historical action. And so when we're in a season of tears, remembering testimony is crucial. That's, that's the first place that we should go to. Uh, remembering testimony is an active thing. It's, it's not, they're not remembering this moment when God returned the people from Zion. It didn't just happen to pop into their mind. They chose to bring it to mind. 
And so when we're in a season of tears, the first step is to choose to bring to mind the things that God has done in the past that build up your faith. It's an active thing. And so what testimonies do you have to draw on? That's the question. What testimonies do you have to draw on? And, and so some of us this morning might be saying, well, God's not ever done anything like that in my life. But I want to encourage you that this is God's word, but it is also a collection of testimony. We stand in the history of Israel. We can remember the testimony of when God, in an unprecedented way, returned a people group from exile. That has never happened before or since. That, that this is the God that we believe in. We can remember biblical testimony. We can remember our own testimony. And I encourage you that if, if you've seen or, or had things happen in your life that God has done, whether that be uh, physical miraculous things or internal heart things, even just the miracle of drawing us to himself, that, that first spark that led us to pursue Jesus is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. But we have our own testimonies. And so I encourage you that if you've seen or heard those things in your own life, to record them, to recycle them, to, to bring them to mind on a regular basis. I, I must admit I'm a bit um, behind in keeping it up to date, but, but I have a file on my computer that is testimonies of things that I've seen. Or, or, or answers to prayer that, that have been in my life or the circle around me. And I encourage you to, to do similar. Get a journal. Do, do something that is a testimony remembering tool in your life. So we have biblical testimonies. We have our own testimonies. But we also have those of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That of our local church and the broader church um, to encourage each other. That's why we share testimonies. That's why... We have that opportunity most Sunday mornings. Sometimes we don't do it for various reasons, but it's why we regularly have the opportunity to share testimony. It's about praising God, yes, for what He's done, but, but it's about remembering so that we might persevere. It's about remembering so that our faith might be built up. It's about remembering so that we might declare that God is able to do it again. And so I do want to encourage some of us uh, uh, kind of um, love to, to stand up and, and, and speak through a microphone and share what God's done in our life. And, and some of us are, are not comfortable with that. And I, we do have testimony cards um, on, our, on our foyer table. They're constantly there. And so if God's done something in your life that you believe would, would equip and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, you can jot it down on that. Um, it can be anonymous or not. Um, and someone else can share that to you. The person leading each morning can share that with the church because we really want to share what God is doing. I don't want anyone in our church family to be able to really believe that God's not alive and active today because of what's been shared. And so I want to encourage you not just to remember testimony, but to share testimony. So remember the testimony, biblical testimonies, our own testimonies, those of our brothers and sisters. Uh, remembering testimony is crucial um, to continuing to be faithful in a season of tears of trial. And the next thing the psalm points us towards is to pray. It begins in testimony, which inspires hope, which inspires belief, but it also inspires prayer. And so the psalm continues in verse 4, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Who knows what the Negev is? 
desert, yeah. Yeah. So the Negev, can I, this is completely sidetracked, but can I encourage you that if you read a word in your Bibles when you're reading through and, and you don't know what it means, Google it. We're blessed in this day and age to most of us have it in our pockets, a resource where we can tap into that information. Um, and so if you, if you find a word you don't know, um, then Google it. But that's a side point. So the Negev is a desert um, and semi-desert, arid portions of southern Israel. It actually makes up about half of the um, land mass of modern day and ancient Israel. Um, but it's a desert that rains come into each year in winter to fill dry creek beds. So throughout most of the year, the Negev is completely dry and there's these dry creek beds or wadis, they call them in Hebrews, that just sit there dry. But almost without fail, each winter, rains come and fill and, and the, the Negev is filled with all these flowing streams. And so uh, maybe you've seen pictures of the Australian desert when rains actually come less regularly than the desert in Israel because we're not on the Mediterranean Sea. But, but when rains actually come, the desert is just waiting to burst forth with life. The flowers and wild grasses sprout up and, and so the, the rains in the Negev, the streams flowing in the Negev aren't just something that can be depended upon. They're something that, that brings a flourishing life and beauty to a desolate land. And, and so the prayer of, of, of the psalmist is that God would restore their fortunes, God that would transform their situation in the same way that the regular rains each winter in the desert of Israel restores and transforms the desert. Their, their prayer is that God would simply restore them in a spectacular way. In a season of tears, it's important that we pray, but to jump back a little bit to our previous point, I want to encourage us that in a season of tears, it's really important that testimonies precede our prayer. It's not a rule that, well, you shouldn't pray unless you've remembered a testimony, but, but in a season of tears, it's really important that we remember testimony to empower our prayer. In a season of tears, testimonies should precede our prayer and prayer or to put it in other words prayer should always flow out of testimony in a season of tears so that we're standing upon what God has done in the past as we pray for him to to act in our present this prayer stands on the testimony of God's past action for restoration this prayer stands on that testimony uh, using the metaphor of streams in the desert to say we know that you have the capability of doing this. There's not an abundance of words here. It's, it's essentially the psalmist saying simply, do it again, Lord. We remember that you encountered us and, and you brought such restoration in our life that we were filled with joy and laughter. It was, it was so unbelievable it was like a dream we remember that do it again lord it's, it's a simple prayer that just as the rains are faithful to restore the desert 
we believe that you are faithful to restore us, Lord. It's a simple prayer. And praying in the midst of tears is founded in this truth. I talked about the truth that a testimony is founded on, but the praying in the midst of tears is founded in this truth, that we don't have a distant and impotent God. See, we, we could believe that we have a God of historical action, but think He's distant and, and, and not powerful now. But, but prayer moves forward from that truth to this truth, that we do not have a distant and impotent God. We have a present and powerful God. Prayer flows from this fundamental truth that God is here now and God is powerful. God is not far off in a historical sense or a geographical sense or a spiritual sense and He's certainly not weak. And so in the midst of the season of tears, we remember testimony but it's also important to pray. And I've used the word simple several times intentionally as I've spoken about this prayer because the, the testimony took three verses, the prayer took one. One sentence, in fact. Just a simple prayer for restoration. And so what I want to encourage you from this prayer is it's important to remember testimony, it's important to pray, but our prayers not need to be an abundance of words. They need not be poetic, they need not be set to song, they need not uh, be, have worked out how God is going to restore them, they need not to have worked out all the implications of what God's restoration looks like for those around you, they need not to have worked anything out. It's important that we pray, but we simply pray with simple words, God restore me. And in the midst of a deep season of tears, maybe that's all that you can get out. But I want to say that's enough. That's enough simply to point your heart, your words towards God and just say, God, restore me. Once a fortnight, there's a few of us that uh, meet at one of the pubs in town, um, which is complicated by the fact that they keep closing for renovations and we keep having to shift around and um, we, we take our Bibles and we um, explore something from the Scriptures and we encourage one another and we pray for one another. But our brother Daniel, who's not here this morning because they're moving house this weekend, but um, it's become a little bit of a joke, but his prayer request is always more Jesus. Um, and there's, there's always some stuff around that that he'd love for God to do, but, but uh, and we joke about it a bit, but he's actually caught hold of a, a key truth here, is that the answer to whatever restoration, the answer to whatever problem or trial or trouble, whatever's brought us to tears, the answer is always just more Jesus. More of God in this situation. And so I want to encourage us if, in the midst of a season of tears to pray simply for God to restore us, for God to encounter that situation. And so we remember testimony, we, we pray, but finally the psalmist talks about sowing in tears. In verse 5 and 6, the psalm finishes with these words, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And so the psalm touches on this biblical metaphor of sowing and reaping and we see it all throughout the scriptures that God's word says you reap what you sow. 
If you sow wheat, you don't reap barley. If you sow uh, weeds, you don't reap wheat. You, you reap, you harvest from the ground what you have put into it. And so this takes the metaphor a little bit further and, and talks about not just what you're sowing, but the context in which you sow. And the truth that's touched on here is that if you sow nothing, you harvest, you, you reap nothing. You reap what you sow. This psalm declares that this is true of every season. It's true of seasons of joy, it's true of seasons of laughter, but it's also true of seasons of tears. Those who sow in tears will reap a harvest in joy. I'd love to, we have, we have a um, house up on the, on the hill with a decent sized backyard and, and I'd love to have some fruit trees growing in that yard so that we could have the fruit. Um, but the reason we don't have any fruit growing in our yard is because I haven't planted any. And, and uh, I can be prone to a little bit of laziness and, and so the, the, one of the reasons, one of my excuses or hesitancies to plant it is if I want to plant some fruit trees, I've got to wait then several years um, before that fruit starts growing and and so it's a it's a uh, it's a time delay on what we sow I don't get to reap the moment I sow so I haven't sown yet but but the thing is if I was to plant fruit it would be an anticipation and hope for the fruit sorry if I was to plant fruit trees that would be in anticipation and hope for fruit to grow on those trees to come uh, one commentator on this psalm says that, in fact, sowing is always an act of anticipation and hope. Unless you're foolish, you never put seed in the ground unless you anticipate and hope for something to grow from that. And so sowing is always an act of anticipation and hope. And so when we sow in tears, it's an act of of anticipating and hoping for God's restoration. It's an act of anticipating and hoping for God's healing. It's an act of anticipating and hoping for God's deliverance, uh, for whatever our heart longs for Him to do. But it's also an act of anticipating and hoping that despite the trial, the trouble, the season of tears that I'm journeying through, that God can bring kingdom fruitfulness in that, in the midst of that, all around that that we, as we continue to be faithful, just because we're going through a trial doesn't mean that God is not able to produce fruit. Our sowing of seed is an act of anticipation and hope for God. It's an act of anticipation and hope that God will restore us to a season of joy and laughter. And so the psalm says that those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. What does it look like to, to sow in tears? What does it actually mean? And, and um, some of us may apply this literally. Uh, if we've got land that we, that we want to produce a harvest on and, and uh, we might literally sow into the ground. But for most of us, that's a mer- metaphorical meaning. And so I want to suggest this morning that to, to sow in tears is to continue to be faithful to God's calling on your life, whether you feel like it or not. To sow in tears is to continue to show up for worship, and I don't just mean our worship gatherings, but that's part of it, but to continue to show up in your life to worship God, 
whether you're feeling great about it at the moment or not. To continue to sow in tears is to continue to give and trust God with your finances, whether you're in a season of joy and laughter or whether you're in a season of tears. Sowing in tears is an act of anticipation and hope, but it's also an act of being faithful in every season. To sow in tears is to stay in the place where God has planted you, to stay faithful to His calling when the impulse within you is to do the opposite. Yeah. To sow in tears is to continue to be faithful to Jesus as Lord in the midst of a season in which your natural impulse would be to give up. And the promise of the psalm is that as we do that, we will reap with songs of joy that there will be a harvest. And, and my belief is that some of the most beautiful harvests in people's lives and for God's kingdom come when they've sown in tears. Our nature is to think that, that if, if we're in a season of trial and struggle that, that God couldn't possibly use us. We, we tend to have a disposition to disqualify ourselves from usefulness and fruitfulness in God's kingdom. But, but I believe and, and from what I've seen that some of the most abundant and fruitful and beautiful harvests that are reaped for God's kingdom is when people have shown up and done this. When their natural impulse is to give up, they've continued to sow faithfully into God's calling on their life. It's the promise of Scripture that, that our hope and anticipation won't be disappointed. In Romans, um, I'm just going to flip there, you can flip with me if you like. In Romans chapter 5, Apostle Paul wrote about this kind of situation and trouble and trial. Romans chapter 5 verses, uh, well the second part of verse 2 going on, it says... And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's that anticipation of that day when tears will be wiped away, when they'll be a thing of the past. But not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering or in our tears because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given whether we feel hopeful or not, whether we feel excited or not, whether we're in suffering or not, the promise of Scripture is that if we continue to persevere and be faithful, the hope that we have in Him, in this context, to bring a harvest, to bring fruitfulness, to bring us back into a season of joy, to bring us back into a restored state in the Lord, whatever that looks like for our lives, that hope will not be disappointed. And so Jesus touched on this and I've kind of paraphrased him a little bit with the truth that, that our continuing to, to sow faithfully in the midst of, of tears is anchored in. It's anchored in this truth. There will be seasons of tears in this world. Jesus put it this way. He said, in this life you will have trouble. There will be seasons of tears in this world, but Jesus has overcome this world. See, so we can continue to live faithfully for Jesus we continue to sow faithfully in the midst of tears because troubles are not to be unexpected but what we can confidently hope for is Jesus restoration because he has overcome all things in this world
I remember talking to Steve uh, um, maybe about six weeks ago when um, he'd had, after he'd had his first operation to kind of investigate the, the cancer in his bladder. And um, for some of you who, who may not know Steve, some visitors and um, some less frequent uh, um, people this morning, um, Steve's uh, been diagnosed with bladder cancer. And, and as, as Leslie shared in that testimony, it's good news that that spread not as far as um, his surgeon expected. But I remember talking to Steve um, after kind of the diagnosis um, from his first surgery that the tumour was much larger than I expected. And, and Steve said, said this to me. He said, um, like I asked how he's going and, and how is he in his faith in light of that. And he said, there's, there's three responses I think I could have. One is to get cranky at God and to throw my faith away. Uh, the other is just to keep cruising along as I have been, and I wouldn't call Steve's faith cruising along, but, but just to, to, to keep on going um, as I have been. Uh, he said the third option, and, and this was the option he's, he was uh, intending to choose and step into, was, or I can take this opportunity to go deeper into my faith and into my trust in the Lord and, and, to, and to, to go deeper into this belief in Jesus and my hope in Him. And so, so Steve, he's not quite Jesus, but Steve didn't um, use these words, I'm going to continue to sow in the midst of tears. But, but those words from Steve just encapsulate for me what sowing in tears look like, that in the midst of tears we have a choice just to go, stuff it, I give up. Or we have a choice just to, to continue to go through the motions of our faith, uh, continue to come to church at least a couple times a month and, and continue to pray and, and, and have some time in the Word, but just to, to continue to kind of cruise through it. Or the sowing in tears choice, I believe, is what Steve articulated, that we can take the opportunity of the trial of the season of the tears to press in deeper and deeper into our faith, into our relationship with Jesus. See, sowing in tears could in practice mean a whole bunch of different stuff, but ultimately it means that. It means continuing to dig in, to hope, to anticipate in the midst of the tears, to not let the tears wash away our faith and faithfulness. And so we remember testimony in the midst of tears. We, we pray in the midst of tears. But, but, but this final point is what I really want to encourage us as a church this morning, that that we sow in tears. In the midst of the season of tears, I want to encourage us all to continue to show up. And I don't just mean to church, but the, the, the God's Word does say, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I think that's a, the touching on this point. Let's not give up sowing in the midst of a season of trouble and trial. And so I want to encourage us to continue to sow, to not give up, to keep showing up at church, yes, but to keep showing up for God. To keep sowing seed, to keep anticipating and hoping not just for breakthrough in our own lives, but that through us, despite what season we're in, that through us, God might transform this town, this village, this valley, this community, this nation, however big you want to draw the circle, that, that through us, that as we sow and show up in the midst of tears, that, that God might restore our town like streams in the negative. 
that is spiritually dry and desolate as yes may seem at times to us that that it only takes the winter rains to come and it will burst forth with life and so i want to encourage us to continue to sow remember testimony pray sow in tears those are our our three responses the three things we hold to in the midst of tears in the midst of trouble in the midst of trials remember testimony pray and continue to sow in tears and one of the ways we do that is simply to worship and we're going to finish with worship this morning we're going to stand and declare that all of our life in every season he is still god that we still have a a reason to worship Um, and as the worship team are getting ready to lead us in that i just want to read one final verse and that's from galatians uh, chapter 6 and it's verse 9 and i just want to finish with this and then pray these words over us let us not paul says in galatians 6 9 let us not become weary in doing good and i'm going to change those words this morning to sowing faithfully let us not become weary in sowing faithfully even in the midst of tears for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up so let me pray father i pray this morning that whether we're in a season of joy and laughter or whether we're in a season of tears and struggle or trial and and life's not that black and white so often we're in a bit of both this morning father i pray that by your spirit you would give us the power to not give up to not grow weary of sowing faithfully to not grow weary of showing up for you to not grow weary of praising your name to not grow weary of giving and trusting with our finances to not grow weary of of speaking to others about you to not grow weary of acting in love towards other in the name of jesus i pray this morning that that by your spirit you would give us the the power to sow even in the midst of tears Father, give us anticipation and hope that we will reap a harvest of joy in the name of Jesus.